totally just, I was just telling Danny, it was, it was totally providential, uh, just his, I mean, honest, it's, it feels like this is just 2.0 of what you just heard. So if, you're, if you just heard the, the sermon, awesome. If you haven't heard it yet, then you're getting it in reverse order. But um, you know, if you're coming for second service, but really just an extension of what uh, he was just talking about, uh, which is just totally providential. So um, I'm just going to, for the sake of, I'm just going to skip through some of the stuff I normally do because I got so much and 30 minutes is not enough. We talk a lot about, so that, you know, we want to plant a church down in Utah County, and you know, this is about how do we have conversations with, uh, really with LDS, but with those that are not Christians. And so this has become sort of the mantra for our ministry. It's, it's from a position paper that Francis Schaeffer wrote. Um, and, and basically just like a, a fully orb ministry is, it's, it's sound doctrine and it's honest answers to honest questions. We talked a lot about that the first couple weeks, uh, even the beauty of human relationships. How I love someone enough to share the truth with them and how do I do that? And we'll do some more of that next week. But, but really we're zeroing in on, on the true spirituality aspect of that today. Um, the idea of, of truly loving God and of loving others. And so I want to, so last week, if, you, you know, if you're here, we talked about tactics and just asking good questions. And so always in these conversations, we're just trying to ask more questions. Uh, we, you know, we say never, ask a, never make a statement when you can do the same thing by asking a question. And if you want to, we've got these, um, if you want the past classes or whatever, they're online. And so always resources. And so today, um, I'm encouraging you. These are the resources. Again, this is going to be a little bit more on the true spirituality side. So um, the, uh, Tim Keller has helped me understand the gospel better than anybody. Uh, there's some things about sort of new Tim Keller that I don't, I don't particularly agree with, but I'm sure that really bothers Tim Keller that I don't agree with him. But, uh, but Galatians for You is a book that I have recommended to everybody. Uh, when we do these mission trips, when we bring our students out here, we go through uh, the book of Galatians during the week, and we just basically use Galatians for You. And he wrote this little booklet. Um, you can actually go online and listen. If you just Google Freedom of self, Self-Forgetfulness Sermon, you'll get, the, you'll get the same sermon, but then they, it, was, it was just so good, they took it and they made it into a little booklet, and it's a short little read, but it's basically just that sermon. I, we used to have tons of these, and we'd pass them out to people on campus, uh, and I just think it is so helpful in stuff that we're going to talk about today. And then I want to introduce you to the ministry of uh, Mark Cares and um, the, um, the their ministry, which you'll see here, which is just truth and love. Um, so this book is really helpful, um, speaking the truth and love to Mormons. I, I don't agree with everything Mark Cares says, but again, I'm sure Mark Cares really cares about what I think. But um, there's some stuff in there that, I did, but I, there's a lot of really helpful things in there. And this is their website. You can actually go, there's, I think they're free, but they're online classes on how to have these conversations. And you can go to their resources and you just see, it's, I think it's T-I-L-M uh, dot, is that right? T-I-L-M dot org. I think is it, and you can um, get these resources. They're very helpful, and they'll help you in these kind of conversations, and a lot of what we're going to talk about today are just pulled straight from some of his resources, which is truly helpful. So, my, my thing just died. That's great. Oh, no, here we go. No, it's still dead. I can go one way, but I can't go the other way. Can someone help me with, I can go backwards, but I can't go forwards. I do it. All right, now, now, keep going. <laughs> One more. Keep going. <laughs> All right, there we go. All right, so I want to start off by sharing. Um, so um, the the picture on uh, your left is from March fifteenth, two thousand and seventeen. 
that's the day that uh, our family grew by one. So you see there uh, to the right, that's Jason. Oh, back one, yeah. Uh, you see that to the Jason, um, when uh, we fostered Jason, and then uh, so March 15th, 2017, I was actually doing, a, uh, doing some stuff with Roster Christie, and I, we had a speaker, and we got the call that uh, he was coming to our house. And so I had to leave our speaker, he was doing some stuff on the campus, and go home, meet my son, and then go back and do a ministry event. And uh, so that was our whole family the first day we first met Jason. That was actually a couple months later at his birthday. And the reason why this is important because, you know, when, when we, we ended up adopting Jason in October of that year, and, and when we adopted him, he, he is now a, a full-fledged member of the Marshall family. So you see my other son, Gardner, and all of, you know, and my kids, we have five. And, and so Jason has all the rights that, you know, all the Marshall kids have. He has, he has um, the, the same interest in, in inheriting the vast Marshall inheritance from our supported missionary days. You know, it's like, we're, sorry, kids. Uh, but I mean, he's, he has all the rights that, that, that he, that all my kids have the day we adopted him. And there's so much that we can say about adoption. We were just, I was just talking to, there's other families here who adopted. And you just, it's amazing, it's, it's really brings to light and brings the gospel and helps me understand um, the true gospel maybe in a way that I didn't quite understand before. And so that's kind of what, I want to do two things today. Again, it's just kind of uh, taking what uh, we just talked and kind of, um, kind of fleshing it out. But I want to talk to you about how do, how do we reach the LDS with the power of God's word. So we talked about tactics, we talked about the other things, but a lot of times we, it can be very easy to, when you're, especially when you're evangelizing. So um, there, you know, uh, Jake Larkin, he's somewhere around here. Him and I spent two hours talking with somebody at Westminster College this week who wouldn't even admit that Joe Biden was the president of the United States. Like he was like, we don't believe any truth. And so we're suckers for punishment. So we spent two hours talking with that guy. Don't do that, right? Don't, don't do that. So you can spend lots of times just debating with people and never actually getting anywhere. And, and what can, if we're not careful, what can happen is we just turn it into that. Um, when we bring mission teams here, we go down to uh, Provo. We actually go door knocking uh, down in Utah. We'll talk about, I mean, down in Pro, uh, Utah County, we'll talk about that. We tell them, look, we're not going down there to debate the weight of gold plates, now, if that means anything to you, there's a good evidence that uh, what Joseph Smith said about the weight of gold plates, if they were in gold, like, it doesn't work, you couldn't hold them. In fact, if you go to Sandra Tanner's bookstore over there by the baseball stadium, she's got replica plates there, and you can't lift them up. And so just, but we're not going down there to debate the weight of gold plates. We're going down there to share living water. We're going down there to share the true gospel. Because the gospel is what's going to transform, right? Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So yeah, I wanna have arguments. I mean, I wanna make arguments, but I wanna get to the gospel because that's what's gonna do it. It's not gonna be some argument about infinite regress of God's, although that is very important. And that's what we wanna talk about today. So it's really important when we have the discussions with the LDS, we, we talked about this before, define your terms, define your terms, define your terms. Because if you go down there, we just heard this great sermon about salvation and grace, you know, by grace through faith alone. And, and if you talk to the LDS about salvation, they will agree with you that it's by grace through faith alone. And then you'll say, wait a minute, I thought we disagreed. No, we basically mean the same thing. Because for them, we have to understand salvation is not their ultimate goal. Salvation is a general term, a kind of a general resurrection that's for everybody. 
But for them, you want to say, how do you get eternal life or exaltation or highest level celestial kingdom? However, however the person I'm talking to wants to define their ultimate goal, that's what we're talking about. And the question is, how do we get there? For us, it's salvation. For us, it's heaven. But you want to be careful that we define our terms correctly so that we make sure that we're not talking past each other. Because for them, as you see this quote from Joseph Fielding Smith, one of the former prophets, eternal life is not a free gift. It's something that you have to work for. And so this is kind of a, you know, a, a sort of a, a rough understanding of their view of from pre-mortal life, which would be over here on the left, all the way to the end. And you see that there's judgment, and then there's basically three levels of you know, three levels of where you'll spend eternity. There's the telestial, the terrestrial, and the celestial kingdom. And the highest level of the celestial kingdom, that's where they want to get, and that's eternal life or exaltation or however they want to word it. That's what we're talking about. And the question is, how do we get there? And so the first thing you want to do, this goes back to our conversation the first week. We want them to know, we have to help them to see that we are not saying the same thing about how you get there. And so, how, so, so I love Galatians. Again, Galatians free. I mean, we, we, I think Galatians is the, you know, when I was coming out, I think I mentioned this before, when I was coming out here, uh, moving out here, I was, you know, I was asking a bunch of people, what book should I read? And, you know, lots of apologetics books and evangelism books. And this one pastor goes, just read Galatians about 50 times. Because that's literally, that's who you're talking to. And so Paul says at the very beginning of Galatians, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven, very interesting, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a different gospel or gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, let him be separated from God, let him be damned. There is only one way that we can be made right with God. And so what we have to help the LDSC, not anybody who believes a different gospel, is number one, that we believe something different. And all that means is that doesn't make us right, it just means that both of us can't be right. Right, the law of non-contradiction. It can't be both true and not true that there's a false gospel. And now all, all gospels we'd say that are not biblical gospels are false gospels. So that's really number one. We have to help people to see that. And then what we want to do is we want to, here the, the, the inclination is going to go straight to the good news. We just heard the good news and it's amazing. And the good news is, it is, it's good news. But it's only good news in light of the bad news. And here's how most LDS will tend toward, now it's not true of everybody, again, you want to be very careful, either very self-righteous, we, we knocked on a door one time of a guy who said he was perfectly keeping the law. You know what I said to him? Can I speak to your wife? <laughs> you know? uh, uh, he perfectly keeping the law. And, then we, and, and so they, are, you know, they, they don't have a high view of sin. And I would say just generally, most, most non-Christians don't have a high view of sin, right? And then there are other people who are, walking, who are in that county and who are walking around you who are just defeated. And there were some, I mean, we just, I was just at an event on Friday night down in Utah County, and some of the new data has just come out, and the amount of mental health issues that are in that county is staggering. The amount of people that are suffering from suicidal thoughts is staggering. The amount of suicides, and it's not just that county, but within a performance-based religion is staggering. And so you, you tend to gravitate towards one of those two 
levels. And so what we need to do is we need to show them the law for the self-righteous and then show them that they're never going to be good enough. Because what, the, what does the law do? The, the law reveals our sin. It was never the case. A lot of people think, oh, well, there's one way to be saved in the Old Testament and then God kind of flipped the switch. No, it was never the case that the law was going to save us. It was never the case. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was always trusting in God. The question for Adam and Eve was, would you trust God? And they said, no. The question for us is, will we trust God? It was never the case that the law was the way in which we were going to be saved, but the LDS look at it that way. I would say all, all non-Christian religions look at it as the law is the way in which I'm going to be saved. And maybe each one of us are living by different laws, but we just think if I can do enough, if I can perform enough, if I can obey enough, then God will love me. And that's just not true, right? So, one of the things that would, so there, there, if you remember that, that little chart I put up, there is this little tiny level of outer darkness. Now, they used to, it used to teach that the only people that were going to outer darkness in the LDS faith were apostate Mormons, those who had been LDS and left, which is, you know, it kind of gets your hooks in, right? Because that's the only, now, a lot of people now just don't even believe hardly anybody's going there if you talk about it, but, but there is this idea of outer darkness, and so you can use that, because a lot of people will tell me, if I talk into LDS, they'll say, I cannot believe in a God that would send anybody to hell, but on your own view, you believe at least some people are going there because they're going to outer darkness, but Jesus seemed to say, right, this is why this verse is very helpful, Matthew 7. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, why would he say those who enter by it are many if hardly anybody is going to outer darkness? I will use that term when I'm talking to them because, again, I don't want there to be, I want there to be less, um, you know, talking past each other's apostles, so I'll use outer darkness. Why would he say many if people aren't going there? And then I'll say, this is why, and you, have, you know, again, if you're just there to argue with people, that's fine. Don't do it. <laughs> but if you care for their soul, you say, and I care enough about you to say that I think that's where you're headed. Then why would you think I am headed to outer darkness, right? I'm doing all I can. I'm performing by the law. And we can take him to Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, you must be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. If you want to enter heaven, you have to be perfect. Now, every person you talk to now in the audience will say, no, it's become perfect, and I'm on my way to it, and eventually I'll get there, and, and maybe it's in the afterlife. And but it doesn't say that here. It doesn't say become perfect. It says be perfect. And you can actually take them to 3 Nephi 12, 48, which says the exact same thing. It doesn't say become perfect. It says be perfect. Are you perfect right now? No. And the problem is, if I blew it yesterday, if I blew it 10 minutes ago, if I blew it right now, then I can't be perfect. I, it's not about, I, I can't be perfect because I've sinned. And they have to feel the weight of that. And, and if your tendency is going to want to skip by that to just get to the good news, don't. For those of us in this room who think that we're really good, don't. For yourselves, this is a, it's a mirror. This should show us we're not good enough. James 2 is another great verse. For whoever keeps, the, James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. You can say, well, I'm doing pretty good. I'm here and here and here. That's not the standard. It's do you keep the whole thing? And if you mess up one time, then you're not perfect. And because 
God is holy and righteous and just, you, you deserve, you get, because he's just, separation from him forever. I was talking to a girl, the other, uh, an LDS girl down at UVU this week, and she said, well, I just couldn't, you know, she's like, you guys just believe, you can just, you know, say a few words, and then you all go to heaven, but I couldn't stand to be around murderers and, you know, adulterers, like, I want to be around people that are like me. Matthew 5 is really helpful for us. I mean, again, I'm not, this is not for those people, it's for me. I've never committed murder. Jesus says if you've been angry with somebody, you've committed murder in your heart. I've never committed adultery. Jesus said if you've lusted, you've committed adultery in the heart. See, every other religion is external behavior modification. If we could just keep the rules on the outside, somehow that's going to change the inside. What Jesus is showing us is that Christianity is about changing the heart. This has to change before any of this will change. It has to be this internal change that happens, not just external behavior modification. And because God is just... He can't just forgive us. So when I was growing up, I know there's kids here, so we'll keep this PG, but when I was growing up, my middle school team, I grew up in Blacksburg, Virginia. It's my Virginia Tech shirt, right? So pray for our football team. We're terrible this year. Um, when, I, and, uh, when I was growing up, sixth grade te- one of our sixth grade teachers, it was Mr. Uton. He was a former uh, place kicker for the Virginia Tech football team. He was teacher of the year. He was citizen of the year. Uh, I actually went on a, a field trip with him and some other teachers to Chesapeake Bay, which was something we did a lot. Um, he was looked at as one of the best teachers in all of Montgomery County where I grew up. And about uh, five, ten years after I left, we found out that he had actually been having inappropriate relationships with students for years, decades. So, you know, Danny talked about this today. Mr. Uton is in the courtroom, and the judge says to him, I know that you're guilty of these crimes. He's pled guilty. I know that you're guilty of them. But I also know that you were teacher of the year, and I know that you were, you know, you've helped students, which he legitimately did, and, and you've done all these service projects, and you've done all these things, and you, you held the door for little old ladies when they came into buildings, and so you're basically a good person, and yes, you've done these crimes, but because I, you know, I'm just a good person, and I want to forgive, you're free to go. Now, would anybody here be okay with that? Is that justice? We know the answer. Now put yourself in Mr. Uton position. That's you. That's me. The law has to convict us that we are guilty before a holy and righteous and just God and we deserve separation from him and that has to weigh on us and we have to be thinking, how can we get out? Praise God, there's good news. So now the story continues. You're guilty. You stand before a just judge. And because he's just, he pronounces you guilty. And then he stands up and he takes his robe off and he comes down and he stands in your place and he says, I will take the punishment for you. That's the Christian gospel. This is why, we'll talk about this next week, this is why Jesus has to be God. Otherwise, it is cosmic child abuse. But God takes the punishment for God. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, comes down, lives a sinless life, and then takes the punishment for you. This is why Hebrews 10, we've, John mentioned it earlier today, Hebrews 10, 12 through 14, and he said, you know, is this a really good verse to share with the LDS? 
There's not all, the, all these sacrifices and sacrifices. He says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And he says, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. He has perfected us, not because of what we do, not because after grace, after all we can do, not because if we add our works to Jesus. No, he has perfected us in Christ. If I have rested my soul on him, which is what faith is, God sees me as a sinless saint. I am perfected. Mark Carris says it this way. He says, justified means that God declares us righteous, declares us perfect, a forensic declaration like he talked about, because Jesus kept the law perfectly for us and then washed away our sins on the cross. Therefore, believers are now saints in God's sights. We don't become saints. God sees us as saints in Christ. We are now clothed in Christ's righteousness. He is our substitute. The LDS look at Jesus as a really good example. If you can follow his example, he's not our example. He's our substitute. He's done it for us. He kept the law for you. He's done everything for you. And now if you're in Christ, you get all of that. And that is good news. And so there's all so maybe you take them to Titus 3 or maybe it's Ephesians 2. We, you know, we know these verses, right? For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. In Galatians, right, Paul says, um, you know, at the end he says, if Christ, for if right, righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If you could somehow keep the law and be good enough, Christ died for no purpose. We nullify Christ's work when we try to think it's grace plus. When we try to add to our, our works, somehow added to what Christ did. And that's what every other religion does. Now, I mentioned this before. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't. I didn't show you those verses, but you see, that's, a, you know, Titus 3, Ephesians 2, Galatians 2, those are all super helpful. And I remember I showed you this before, right? This is the LDS understanding of how we get eternal life. Now, t- next week, we're going to look at some, these are some pushback that you always get. And the first one you're going to get pushback is baptism. We'll talk about that next week. But I want you to see the difference. Here's how I, uh, remember, eternal life, that's what we're talking about. Celestial, highest level of celestial kingdom. You do all those things, and then maybe you'll earn it. And then the, the Christian view. John 6, 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Not obtains, not may, not in the future, not I really cross my fingers. You have eternal life if you've trusted in Jesus because he's our substitute. Now, if, I know the, uh, the Taylors are here and the cops are here. And there's other families here. Um, if you've adopted a child, the hardest thing for you, so this is Jason now, he's nine. This was him, Halloween, he was a ninja. The hardest thing for them is to find their identity in who they now are. Because for them, they have all this pain and suffering, especially if you've adopted a, a child who has been through some trauma. And so it is a, it's ontologically true that Jason is a marshal and we, my, you know, Jess and I, we love him because we love him because we love him and, 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 and he, is, he is just as equal a son as Gardner. But he can't see that some, for some reason. He's, he's not able or willing right now. And I mean, he's a, this is not because he's not a Christian. He, I mean, we, he's professed faith now. But he still sees himself in his identity 
differently. So Jesus has changed his status, but he's got to change his mindset. And, and what we always do, and you know, we're, I'm a thousand percent guilty of this, is we, 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 we try to, you know, if you have kids, you try to change your kids by behavior modification. You know, change the external and somehow that changes the internal. What he needs is to see himself differently. What he needs is to find his identity in Jesus. Now, we only, we only got a few minutes left. When we do these mission trips here, um, so we bring students from all across the country. You don't have to be students. Last, last in June, we had a, a, a couple, they were like in their 60s, and, and they said this changed their view of Christianity just coming out here. And, and so we do a bunch of stuff, and, and clearly the, the goal, one of the goals is to, we want to share the gospel with those that are not saved. But the other thing is I'm convinced that most Christians are more LDS, they're more Mormon in the way they think about uh, religion, God's nature, but the gospel than we realize. And so the scariest day for everybody, we go door knocking in Provo, and like, you know, we literally had a girl uh, back in May who had a panic attack because she had to go door knocking. Now, why do you think that's the case? So think about that. I'm going to talk about why I think it's the case. I mean, look, we get, and Danny just got up here and gave an incredible sermon, and he actually touched on a lot of stuff, extra stuff too, but we get salvation by grace through faith alone. We get that. And then I would argue to you that all of us then think, now we've got to start performing. Now we've got to start earning. Now we've got to get back on the treadmill of performance. Now we've got to do, and our identity, our worth comes from how, now it's just how well we're doing as Christians. See, the difference between Christianity and every other worldview is in Christianity, the verdict comes before the behavior. You have been declared righteous. You are, you are perfect in God's eyes. Now go act, and it's out of that fixed identity of who I am that now I want to obey and I get to obey, and we'll talk about that next week, but it's out of the secure, fixed identity of who I am in Jesus. In the LDS religion, your verdict comes after behavior. In secularism, the verdict comes after the behavior. In every other religion, the verdict comes after the behavior. It's the difference between external religion an interreligion, the number one, for those of you who moved from the South, the number one religion in the South is not Christianity, it's moralism. It's do good things and God will love you, you blew it, God doesn't love you. Uh, Christian Smith wrote this book and he called it Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. <laughs> moralism, right? Do good and God loves you, do bad and God doesn't. Therapeutic, God's basically your therapist who just wants you to be happy. And deism, because you don't really care about God until we need him and we throw up our 911 prayers. That's how most of us live our Christian life. That's how I lived my Christian life. I think coming out here, it's funny, we came out here to, we, we came from Christianity out here and God used being out here to really expose me, I think, to the true gospel. And this is what we try to emphasize to our students and on these mission trips is identity in Christ. And we ask them this question, right now, right now, Christian, do you think that the Father sees you as righteous as Jesus? And most of you will say, no, of course not. Jesus is perfect. And if you don't think he sees you as righteous as Jesus, then the question is, how would you become that way? Well, I could never become that way, but how would I get closer? It would always be by performance. It would always be by doing better, trying harder, doing, doing, doing. And then we go to 2 Corinthians 5.21 where he says, for our sake he made him, God made Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, Jesus was sin sinless, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or you can go to Philippians 3 and be found in him, be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We get Christ's righteousness. So if you think about, go back to the courtroom, okay? 
So now we're in the courtroom. God, God has taken your punishment for you. Jesus took your punishment for you. You've been declared innocent, a forensic declaration of innocence, right? But it's more than that. You're actually given Christ's righteousness. It's like you get a, a Congressional Medal of Honor hung on your neck. It's like you wake up tomorrow and you have Elon Musk's bank account. I mean, you've given all this, right? You have this that's true for you. And then you spend the rest of your Christian life hanging out in the courtroom every day based on what you did or didn't do, trying to find your worth. And the Christian life, the gospel says, get out of the courtroom. The verdict is in. You've been declared innocent. You have Christ's righteousness. Now go become what you already are in God's sight. So for your identity, it means everything. Galatians 5.1 tells us this, right? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So many of us have gone back to the yoke of slavery and back to the yoke of performance, and we, we get up here. What's the number one fear that everyone has? What's, what's the number one fear? Public speaking. You know what's number two? Death. <laughs> so by statistically, you'd rather be in the coffin than doing the eulogy at a funeral. Think about that. Why are we so scared, to get, why are we so scared for public speaking? Because we're exposed, because our identity's on the line, and they may like us, and they may not. And you know, and I rem- you want to you want to know how you get over that fear? I taught uh, high school for th- six years. You want to <laughs> have high schoolers just judge you, and they don't even care. They'll just judge you, right? I mean, they just you're like, well, I yeah, it's terrible. But so I mean, like I think about like uh, Kyle Taylor's here. Kyle Taylor, one of the best college basketball coaches in the country. I mean, every year that he's had his team uh, it ranked one of the top in the country. And last year, they had one loss going into the national championship game. And the, I don't mean to bring this up, Kyle, sorry. But then in the finals, they couldn't hit a shot, and they lost. If Kyle's identity was in winning the national championship, he would have been devastated. I remember I talked to him afterwards. He said, look, he can't help the fact that his, the team just went cold. Right? His identity is in Christ. Of course he wished he would have won. Of course he wished. But it wasn't going to make him, you know, it wasn't going to make him a better person or less. His identity was in Christ. And it's out of that freedom that we have that we can actually truly go out and be who we were created to be. So in that sermon, if you'll listen to the, the sermon that uh, Keller, uh, that freedom of self-forgetfulness, he uses 1 Corinthians 4. For identity, he says, but with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Who's harder on you than anybody in the world? Yourself. So he's saying, for my identity, I don't care what you think about me. I don't care what I think about myself because God is my judge and he has told me who I am in Jesus. And out of that fixed identity of who he says that I am, now I can actually go. And Keller has this great line. He says, the gospel, the gospel humility is this. I don't think too highly of myself because I know that I'm a sinner and I need, I'm the chief of all sinners. But then I don't go devastated and think too less of myself because I know that God loves me because he loves me because he loves me. So I don't think too highly of myself. I don't think too less of myself. I just think of myself less. The reason why, why I know as we're wrapping up, why are we scared of door knocking? Why are we scared to go down to Provo and knock on doors? Because Paul tells us in Galatians 1, that I would not be a servant, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You cannot be a man pleaser and love the gospel at the same time. And we fear man. We fear ourselves. We fear judgment. 
And then we see students get transformed, but then they knock on doors and they have some of the most amazing conversations ever and we see God doing a work and then they come that night and, and there's lots of stories and uh, if Esther is here, Esther has let us stay at her place, uh, her bed and breakfast and it's just so many people at Gospel Grace has helped, have been, helped us with these mission trips and we had a student, she said, I came here to preach the gospel to the LDS and God preached the gospel to me. My whole life, I've been a Christian, but I never understood what my freedom in Christ meant. I never understood what my identity in Christ meant and now she's freed. And she's free to be who she was created to be. Don't share legalism with people who are doing legalism way better than you are. Find the identity, the freedom that we have in Christ. And maybe I need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We have this idea that the gospel is the way I enter the kingdom. The gospel is the way that I live my Christian life every single day. And find that we find that freedom that Paul talks about in Galatians 5. And then we think, what could God do with a group of sold-out Christians whose identity was secure in Jesus, and they just wanted to love God and love people, and they're actually able to do that because the emphasis wasn't on themselves. That's what we want to find out in Utah County, and, and I will leave you with this. Remember we talked about the five thresholds a few weeks ago? The hardest level is to move from being closed to change to open to change. Some of you, even as I'm talking this, you're like making up all the excuses, but yeah, but that's, what about this, what about this? Can you just find your identity in Jesus? Can you rest in that? And then we can move on, right? And we can think and we can live the Christian life. So if you want to find out more about what we're doing, I mean, again, we want to start a church in Utah County. We want that to be kind of the paradigm for what we do. And um, I, I've met with some of you and been super gracious just to share. We're, we're trying to raise some support financially to, to make that happen as we can do this full time. And so maybe that's, if you're interested in learning more about that, if you want the slides, um, you, can, you can go here and click on this. That just pulls up a QR code and you can find information about what we're doing. And then um, I'll just say our homework is just get up to bat again. Or your homework is have another conversation. It's have more conversations with people, not just LDS, but anybody. Um, and if you're interested, you want to talk more, I'd love to, uh, to be up here afterwards and talk with you. Let me just pray real quick. Father, we thank you for um, the way in which you love, you love us. We thank you that, our, that uh, you love us simply because you love us, not because of what we do or don't do, that our performance doesn't determine the way in which you love us, that the performance comes before the verdict, and that is so important and so needed. And I pray, Lord, that my identity would be secure in you, Jesus, and what you have accomplished for me on the cross, and this, I, this knowing that I have your righteousness, and that there's no, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, and that is good news. And help me to live that out day by day with the courage to get up to that, to have a conversation with someone who doesn't know this living water and, and that, are, that, are, that are feeling the condemnation of their sin or somehow think that they're somehow keeping the law perfectly and help us to show them real and true living water and help us to um, share the good news all over the state and in Salt Lake County and Utah County. We love you, Lord. Pray us in Jesus' name. Amen.